I'm Katie, and I'm one of the pastors here. And this summer, we're preaching through a sermon series we're calling The Psalms That Shape Us. We invited members of our community to submit a psalm that was significant to them, and then we partnered with them to write our sermon. And this morning, you are going to hear a little bit from Kim McKnight a little bit later. Sorry, I'm just looking to see if Kim's here. Um, yeah, so you'll get to, a chance to hear her words in just a little bit. So throughout this sermon series, The Psalms That Shape Us, I have been really struck by the hiddenness of our lives. And by that, I mean how much of our lives are marked by physical, mental, and spiritual struggles that are largely hidden from the world and from each other. Unless someone asks you just the right question or cares enough to spend time with you, you won't hear those stories. In the church, these struggles come to the surface when people are absent for several weeks and then they silently slip away. Or when you have someone come for prayer, several t sometimes several times for the same thing. Or when the tears silently roll down your cheeks during the service. And oftentimes, we do hold it together. We make it to work on time. We show up for our small group, even when we'd rather be curled up on a couch. We make it to the grocery store. We prepare meals for our children. We pay our bills. But for some of us, it feels like despair and loneliness and anxiety are always crouching at our door, waiting to take us down. And we know, even if no one else does, how little it can take to send us spiraling, spiraling downward. Sometimes it can take all your energy just to get out of bed. There is a reason that almost half to a third of the psalms are lament psalms either in the voice of an individual or from the community. It's because we're not made for this world the way it is. Our reading from Isaiah 51 reminds us that we were made for Eden, for joy and gladness with God and each other. But instead, we too often find ourselves crying out to God from barren wastelands, praying that he'd save us from our enemies whether those enemies are inside of us or outside. And perhaps it shouldn't surprise us that really so many of us suffer from depression and anxiety at some point in our lives. Mental anguish is just one indicator that all is not as it should be in us or in our world. And I, for one, appreciate just how honest the scriptures and particularly the Psalms are about just how broken our world is because it means that I and you don't need to keep pretending that it's otherwise. We don't need to pretend that we have it all together when we don't. And we particularly don't need to pretend that we have it all together in this space, a space that acknowledges that the world is not what it should be. And perhaps the honesty of scriptures also helps us to acknowledge the limitations of medicine and therapy and our real need for a greater physician. I would never deny the valuable help of doctors and therapists. I've benefited from both. But I don't want the availability of such help to persuade us that all suffering can be eradicated this side of Christ's return. And actually acknowledging the limitations of professional care 
It can push you deeper into despair, but it can also throw you into the arms of Christ. And prayers like Psalm 116 can help guide you through the darkness to patches of God light, to belief even when you have been brought very low, to a recognition of those moments when life truly is good and the justice of God lights up the world, his deliverance arrives just on time and his salvation arrives on the run, as Isaiah 51 says. Psalm 116 verses seven and eight speak of those plateau moments when your sight is clear enough through the aid of the Holy Spirit to say, I said to myself, I said to my heart, relax and rest. God has showered you with blessings. Soul, you have been rescued from death. I, you have been rescued from tears. And foot, you were kept from stumbling. The writer of Psalm 116 knows what it means to discover that God's palms are holding them up even as they feel the cords of death dragging them downward. To lose absolutely everything and yet find that God is enough in the end. They know how important it is for us to witness in gatherings like this to the saving work of God in our lives. Sometimes that means thanking God publicly for his blessings, but sometimes when things are very hard, witnessing to God's goodness means just showing up and being present. We testify to each other about the goodness of life when we choose to live and participate as fully as we can in this community, even when things are hard. For in a mysterious way, all of us here together, your presence testifies to the belief, however small it might be, that you believe in a God who desires not the death of sinners, but that all would turn back from their way and live. I read a book this summer by this um, professor named Alan Noble. His book's titled, On Getting Out of Bed, The Burden and Gift of Living. And he said this to the church. Your existence is a testament, a living argument, an affirmation of creation itself. Your existence is a faint but real echo of God's, it is good. Living is a gamble. It's a severe gamble. You don't know the suffering and sorrow that will await you, but you don't know the heartache, but you do know that it is coming for you. Of that history and literature have testified without counterclaim. To choose to go on every day is to proclaim that your life, and at the risk of tremendous suffering, that it is good. That even when life is hard, it is good. And so now I want to invite you to hear Kim's reflection on the goodness of God and the goodness of living from Psalm 116. I love that the scriptures are alive. They are so much more than ink on a page or pixels on a screen. I take them in through my eyes and the words find their way to my heart, to the deepest and darkest corners of my mind. This Psalm, Psalm 116, has been a lifeline for me. This Psalm is a testimony of God's goodness and kindness to me, and I imagine it has been to countless others as well. 
This is a bit of my story. I had so much to be thankful for. Four dear children, a beautiful home on lovely land, and many treasures from travels far and near. I tried to count my blessings and to give thanks often, even for my difficult marriage. But I found myself engulfed by darkness. The cords of death had entangled me. They seemed to hold not only me, but to be the only answer. Till death do us part, okay. Death would be where I would find peace and safety. I was frightened because of what I was planning. I was becoming convinced that this dark path was the only way. God save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. When I was brought low, he saved me. I cannot say that overnight all was well. It was a tug of war. It took time for the cords of death to be severed. Time for the great anguish and sorrow to lessen their grip. Things got much harder before they got better. I did have to die, die to self. When you are dead, you cannot hold on to anything. It all slips away, except the grace and the mercy of God. I wrote in my journal on June 5th, 2016, I have lost nothing that was mine to hold. I have everything in him who holds me. And that is true. The scripture, a good counselor, the prayers of family and friends, my dear brothers John and Craig, flowers and the taste of my morning tea, proved to me again and again that the Lord wanted me to walk before him in the land of the living. He delivered me from death by my own hand. He heard my cry for help. He gathered my tears. He kept me from stumbling. God has been so good to me. And someday, my death will be precious in his sight but not now, not in that way. Thank you, my dear Lord Jesus. Amen.